Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman and I am your host. If this is your first time tuning into Next Level Minds, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry and walk through their story of how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to reiterate my main goal, which is to impact over 1 million people by helping them reach a next level. So if you've not done this already, please take the time to subscribe to Next Level Minds on Apple Podcast. Also make a review. Let me know what you think. And additionally, please share this with a family member, friend, or colleague who you think will get some value from it. Now on to today's episode. I'm sitting down with AJ Rakiki. He is the founder of Sentio, a leading hiring platform designed to help companies really reduce turnover and hire great productive employees. AJ has done some amazing, significant things at such an early age. I'm really excited to sit down with him and just walk through really how he started his company. Also really excited to just sit down with him to talk about how he balances everything that's going on in his life because he's the founder of his own company. He's involved in numerous tech-based communities. He's a mentor at College of Charleston in the Citadel. He's doing Harvard Online School. He's married and he has a young daughter. So all that said, I'm just really excited to sit down and not only hear his story of how he started his company, but also sit down and really understand the time management behind all that. So again, thank you for taking the time to tune in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. And as we like to say here, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. AJ, thanks for coming on the Next Level Minds podcast. Really appreciate you sitting down here today. No, hey, thanks so much for coming out. I've been a fan for uh, quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. How's uh, how's everything in Charleston treating you now? I know it's pretty nice weather on this Saturday, so. Yeah, it's good weather, but I'm sure like every other person in America is feeling a little bit of cabin fever, um, you know, a little bit of fatigue from COVID, but definitely hanging in there. Thanks for asking. How are things with you? It's good, man. We're uh, So I've actually always worked from home, um, but I will say all my meetings are now virtual. So uh, positive on that, saving money on gas, but uh, you know, additionally, I, I miss that, you know, face-to-face contact. I'm sure you kind of do as well. Yeah, it's nice. You know, you kind of miss, uh, you miss some of the coffee shop um, galore, but at the same time, I feel I, you, you and I have already talked about this is I take time management very seriously and not having so much time in cars and travel and you know, unnecessary meetings has actually alleviated my schedule and allowed me to do a lot of things. So I'm really excited for that too. Yeah, it's crazy how much you you spend driving. You don't really realize it at the time, but now that it's you're not going to as many meetings, I mean, I'm saving, and you probably are as well, at least like an hour and a half, two hours a day sometimes now. So yeah, yeah, easily too, and, and working out too. So like getting to the gym, um, you know, getting dressed, getting mentally ready, working out, and then kind of having that dial down period, and then having to return to work. That you know, workout that might take forty five minutes in actuality takes like an hour thirty. So especially like in my schedule, you put it like straight in the middle of the day. 
um, you know, that's a big time slot. So now being able to reduce that and put it towards the end of the day or beginning, um, just frees up the schedule a lot. Yeah. Are you more of a, like a, a morning workout guy now or more of the, the evening or now? So now I work out at night, but before yeah. I needed that break in the middle of the day, mentally, spiritually, physically, just to kind of get out there, get the body moving and then return to work energized and fresh. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Look, you've uh, you've obviously done a significant amount of things uh, at such an early age. You know, you're the founder and CEO of your own company. You've gotten involved in uh, numerous tech-based communities. You've done some mentorship at CFC and the Citadel. You're also doing, you know, Harvard Online School, married, and you have a young daughter. So obviously, that's so much at at, at the age you're at right now. Uh, really, if you could just let the listeners know some about your story, I'm sure everyone would uh, love to get to know you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, again, I appreciate, um, everybody out there who's listening and, and, and want and interested in hearing about the story. Um, so I went to a small boarding school in New Hampshire called Phillips Exeter when I was, uh, when I was you know, 16, 17, uh, graduated early to work in the United States Senate where I serviced the Homeland security and national security arm of, um, the United States Senate. And so, for me, um, it was kind of being thrown into the workforce as a teenager and under tremendous pressure, mm. right? Where we're dealing with classified files, we're dealing with very important people, and my work um, was very important in that small piece of a big puzzle, but at the same time, you know, it was a lot different than playing FIFA in my dorm room. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one um, semester of working in the Senate kind of turned to a little bit longer because uh, I elected to stay, and fortunately, they had me. So kind of during that time, learned some technical skills, learned to code, learned to program, um, started to play around with a lot of different tech projects, um, some of which were very successful, kind of as you mentioned before, you know, was fortunate to grow a volunteer management app to, you know, 12,000 users in under six months, um, you know, was able to exit that to the partners. Um, and with that money and with those new resources, started Sentio, moved my family to Charleston, and now I'm the CEO and founder of Charleston-based Sentio. And in short, what we do is we help companies decide who to hire, um, leveraging artificial intelligence and kind of new software around it. Yeah, definitely. So you, you mentioned, you know, you kind of started that, that work at an early age dealing with an immense amount of pressure. Obviously, pressure can get anyone no matter what age they are. Like, how, how did you kind of adapt to that? Yeah, you know, I, I think that... Um, I grew up with just a lot of pressure in my household. Mm. So I was the youngest of four and from an early age, um, you know, I think I showed promise. I was, I was ahead of a lot of classmates and, you know, I worked really, really hard and I put more pressure on myself than anybody else. But my parents kind of saw that and like put me in, in positions where, you know, always playing me up in sports a few years, always throwing me into chess club or, putting me into computer science club and then sending me off to boarding school where I was going to be more challenged. So like when I got to, to Exeter, um, you know, and it got to the Senate, it wasn't anything new for me. I kind of always had that just cause it's in my soul. You know, mm. I always kind of have that chip on my shoulder, always want to get better. So, you know, pressure is just a, a way of life now. And especially having kids and, you know, having a wife and having these businesses and, you know, finishing school at the same time. You know, it seems overwhelming to people, but, you know, I've managed pressure really well. Um, you know, I have the time management skills that I think is a really undervalued skill for any founder, any entrepreneur. 
Um, and it's something that I continue to work on every day. It's definitely not a, a done process, right? Oh yeah. It's, I think it's a hundred percent completely evolving for sure on that aspect with, uh, when you mentioned you're the, the youngest of four, was there any like competitiveness that happened, you know, like feeling like you weren't meeting expectations there or? No, no. I think, uh, you know, my parents were really, really good at identifying early what type of person you might be mm. and then kind of helping you get to that position. So like, I don't want to say they treated us all differently, but they certainly figured out like, okay, this is what you're passionate about. This is what you love. Um, this is what you're good at. We're kind of going to steer you down that line. So like my oldest sister, Mandy is, you know, a yoga teacher, amazing yoga teacher. Um, and they like helped her get to India to get our certification. Then my other sister has this philanthropy like thing in her gene. Like she like absolutely loves helping people. So she traveled the world doing mission trips and things like that. She's now a teacher, you know, then my older brother, um, you know, fell in love with music at a really early age, um, was very good at it. And then he ended up going to Berkeley college of music and signed by Sony as like a professional rock star. Mm. So like for, for me, um, you know, I kind of had my passions in tech and entrepreneurship and my parents identified that at a young age and helped me, you know, start a business in middle school, you know, start that business in high school yeah. and then kind of just pushed me along this path that they saw, I think that I was already drifting to and were really supportive in it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So two questions to that, could you just brought up kind of at an early age being entrepreneurial, like at what age did you start kind of adopting those principles, building some smaller businesses. And then, and then second on that, how important do you think support is, whether it's by your family members or your friends or colleagues for your success? Yeah. Um, so the first question is I started my first business and I, and you know, you always like doing lemonade stands, (laughs) always like mowing lawns, like as a kid, but like a first real business was in middle school where in lieu of Christmas presents one year, um, my parents offered us $500 cash and they said, okay, here's $500. Let's go to the mall the day after Christmas and you pick out your presents. So, um, instead of kind of buying like the PlayStation two, whatever was really hot at the time, I bought two things. I bought a Johnny Damon signed baseball and I bought Jerry Rice signed 18 by 20. And, um, from there I realized like the next week, that, wow, I got a really good deal by buying them in bulk and buying them on cash the day after Christmas. And so, you know, January 3rd came along and I saw that there was some profit to be made if I sold on eBay. So we sold them on eBay and I ended up with like 750 bucks. And so I made 250. And then like the next week, like my dad found a flyer that said something like, hey, there's a sports memorabilia fair at the state fairgrounds. Like, do you want to go there and see... Um, you know, if you want to buy and sell more stuff with your $250. And so from there, we ended up, you know, starting this huge sports memorabilia business. Um, you know, I have amazing uh, tokens from that time. You know, I still have Muhammad Ali worn gloves. Wow. I got, you know, Michael Jordan played basketball with this, with this basketball and he signed it and was able to buy that. You know, uh, just amazing pieces of sports memorabilia history. And you know, was able to really learn through that process a lot about entrepreneurship, a lot about myself. And I got to spend a lot of time with my dad and my brother who helped that really built the foundation for a lot of the reasons I love business today. And your second question is, you know, how do you feel about, you know, having support? I mean, I think support's everything. Yeah. I mean, I said this to you on a previous call, but you know, I've subscribed to Jim Rohn's, you know, you are the five people that you spend the most time with. Um, and I take my time really seriously. 
but I take my relationships even more seriously because I really know that the people who you surround yourself with is you slowly morph into. And if they're doing really positive things, then you in turn will learn from them and they'll learn from you too. Um, and you can be the best person you want to be. And whenever I talk to, especially investors, about how important relationships are to me, you know, I married a girl that I, you know, met at the high school homecoming football. <laughs> That's awesome. And, you know, we've been together ever since. And it's been, geez, geez, uh, 10 years. Um, so, you know, I take personal uh, relationships really seriously. And, you know, I think they're just so important to an individual's development, whether that be professional, personal, spiritual, anything like that. Yeah, definitely. I think to your point on relationships, I think they're of utmost importance right now because you have so much bad information out there. I mean, so much social media, just scrolling on Instagram, Facebook, it's all negativity. So I think it's extremely important now to like surround yourself with people who are actually going to, you know, continue to push you forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, and that's one of the really hard things about being a young founder mm. is, is you have these amazing aspirations and they are valid. But when you first start, the people around you might not believe in that or not push you to be the best that you can be. And, you know, you're going to be tasked with having to let some of those people around you go. And that's a really challenging thing. Um, but you know, it's certainly something that I experienced where, you know, I wanted to start my business and tech, a tech company and raise money and, you know, build MVPs and all these buzzwords, you know, at the age of, you know, 18 yeah. and what are most 18 year olds doing? They're like rivet G's playing Xbox <laughs> yeah. on the couch, like in their dorm room. And what I quickly realized is like, if I keep on hanging out with people like this, it's not that they're bad people. It's just, if I do that, then I'll morph into that when, you know, I should be or I could be talking to people who are out there doing really exciting things. And those are the people that I truly want to emulate and want to learn from. So had a shift there, no bad blood with anybody, but it was definitely a difficult time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's really like, I've had to drop a few people as well. It's definitely a tough conversation, but I think it, it has to be done to like continue to propel yourself forward, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And finding people to surround yourself with is, is increasingly challenging too. Right. Mm. Because, I'm a really competitive person. I want the best for myself. I want the best for my family. And so it's like you, you surround yourself with people that you aspire to be. And then once you kind of reach that level, you know, it's like, do you kind of upgrade? Like, do you switch your friend group again and find people who are at that next level? And then you just continuously surround yourself with more and more impressive people because, you know, as much as you want to reach and, and, and spend more time with mentors, they might not want to spend time with you. And so, you know, constantly doing this structure of, of, of upgrading, you know, establishing yourself, getting the next level to be interested in kind of learning from you, learning about you, you know, they heard about you in the press, whatever, and then moving up. And it's like a never ending process to be the best person you can be. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. You, you just touched on, uh, you know, being a young founder, obviously at 18, building MVPs, reaching out to investors, et cetera. Uh, you know, Cynthia is a really cool company. I was obviously researching before we, we got on air, you know, you guys have some really powerful clients too, but like, you know, what was it like just getting that, that idea, you know, from the idea to execution phase? Yeah. I mean, it was really tough. Uh, you know, Cynthia started as a tool to help professional sports teams predict who's going to be successful in the draft. So like, it was always amazing to me that like 32 teams, um, you know, you know, as an example, Tom Brady. It's like 32 teams passed on Tom Brady, the greatest player to ever live, six times. 
And, you know, somebody with a $199 million salary cap, like, how does that happen? And what I kind of figured out just being like a sports fan is scouts are like looking at the wrong metrics, mm. right? They're looking at how far somebody jumps, how hard somebody throws, how high they jump. But in actuality, what makes a successful NFL player isn't always physical attributes. Because once you get to that level, everybody's fast. Everybody can jump high. Everybody can throw hard. What's different is kind of like the mental makeup around said players, right? Like how do they practice, how they treat media, how they treat themselves, how they treat their families? Mm. Like, do they come to practice? Like, can they be clutch? And so we build, or I built like this really effective psychological technology that would measure the mental makeup of a quarterback in the NFL draft and then be able to predict if it was, if this person was going to be successful or not. And through that journey, you know, I kind of realized after it being like a really fun, exciting thing, going through that euphoric stage, like, oh no, there's only 150 professional sports teams in the US. That's a really small market. And it's a really hard market to sell into. And despite them having huge salary caps, is there's not a lot of money in the front office. Mm. So despite having like this amazing tech, this really cool, exciting um, platform, is it wasn't viable to be like a very big long-term business play. So, you know, I thought to myself, all right, what we're doing is we're helping an organization pick the best person. Mm. And I said, okay, what other industry has that? And obviously the workforce, right? There's 27 million small businesses that every single day have to pick somebody that's going to be successful within the organization. So I took like all that really hardcore science and analytics, brought it to a self-service platform and, you know, of course, raised money, built an amazing team and together as an organization brought it to the masses and now provide software to businesses to help them predict which candidates are going to be successful um, at their business today, which is just a really challenging thing to do. Yeah, definitely. I think there's such a huge need for it too. Cause I mean, you and I talked about this on the phone the other day, uh, employee turnover can, can cost a company so much money. And I think this kind of helps solve that problem, right? Yeah. So like it costs like just an hourly worker. So somebody who's taken, um, orders at McDonald's, it costs $4,969, five grand, um, to hire train and replace them. Wow. And so when you have an industry that has, you know, 132% annual turnover, is a McDonald's with 50 employees is going to have to make 65 hires every single year. Um, and if it costs five grand per person times 60 is that's $300,000 that they have to spend because of bad hiring and turnover. So, you know, it's a huge problem. Um, you know, not picking on McDonald's, every single hourly worker or hourly um, employer has the same issue. And so being able to apply, you know, really advanced technology to that process, it really helps it and really makes the process more efficient for the operators. Yeah, for sure. So you touched on, like, obviously you worked kind of as this as a, like a sports platform, AI and everything. Yeah. How, how did you even come up with that idea? I mean, was it just a spur of the moment type thing or? No. So I've always been interested in tech, yeah. right? And I was watching the, uh, the documentary, the Brady six, which is about the six quarterbacks who were picked before Tom Brady. Um, and you know, I just was really, when you watch that documentary, it seems so obvious of who was going to be successful and who wasn't Mm. based like on the people's backgrounds. Like you had people coming out of the mountains and it's like, of course they're going to return back to the mountains. Like they're not, they're too scared to play in the NFL. They came from a really small college. And of course, you know, there's people like Carson Wentz that do emerge from small colleges, but the chances of them being successful are significantly lower. 
So to me, it was kind of just like a, like, I think you just need sometimes an outsider's perspective mm. on a really complex problem to be able to provide a new solution. So for me, it was like, man, these people just seem different. Like there's something between their ears is different between, you know, these quarterbacks that are unsuccessful and Tom Brady. And so then it just turned into a ton of research of what psychology should we be using? What's easy to track? What's easy to quantify? What's easy to report on? You know, can we smash this together with some new technology and see what comes at the end? So it's a lot of trial and error. This is years, not months, not weeks. Um, and, you know, fortunately, um, after a lot of blood, sweat and tears, a lot of really hard work from the Sentio team, we were able to make it work. Yeah, definitely. So what was that like from like, mainly just touching on, you know, idea to actually getting that initial project because, you know, I, I talked to so many people who have so many ideas and I have so many ideas too. And like that, I feel like that zero to one step can be the hardest. So like, what did you do to get to that zero to one? Yeah. So like I, when I started a business, I tried to pre-sell. Mm. I think that's a really important thing to do is that especially like as a developer or an idea person, like you come up with this idea, you spend all this energy and all of this time kind of developing the solution. And then once you finally bring it to a customer, they're like, oh, I wish it did this or, hey, this isn't exactly right for me. And so for me, and when I started to build this technology, I did a tremendous amount of research. Like I didn't write a line of code until I knew exactly what the uh, solution needed to look like mm. and what it needed to accomplish in order to be purchased by customers. And so my process in starting any project, especially Sentia, because there was so much tech involved in the beginning, and it would be a huge investment to waste if we didn't know what we were building, is I called every team you know, from, you know, 1-800 New York Jets stock, you know, New York Jets to blasting every coach on Twitter um, <laughs> just to he get people to hear me out yeah. and to try to understand like what they were looking for so I could build the best possible solution. And then once I had a really firm understanding of you know, what the KPIs were, what the outcome needed to be, then I had all the resources to build the business and you could raise money on that. Um, you know, you can get your first few customers to pay early um, and have that fuel all the development and all of the growth. Yeah. Did, did uh, for, for research, I mean, what was your strategy with that? Like, what did you really message these coaches? Yeah. So I messaged like, hey, what I, you know, and when you're a student, it's really easy, mm. right? So like when now that I'm, you know, I'm 25 years old, I can't just like tweet Bill Belichick be like, Hey, like I'm wondering for a class project, like what, um, like what do you look for in players? But when you're a high school student or you're a college student, it's really disarming, I think to customers in general. So whether that's an NFL coach or a head of HR at a company or, you know, any person is you kind of say, Hey, you know, I'm from this school, I'm trying to build this product. You know, I'm working on a project. I was wondering if you just had 10 minutes to talk with me on the phone. And that's what I did with most people. And, you know, you get a, mostly no's, you know, but for every 95 no's, you get five yeses. And what you'll find is that people who say yes, not only say yes to that, um, to that interview, but if you're really compelling and kind of telling them what you're building and asking them questions is they want to stay involved. Mm. And so, you know, those five people may only be five conversations but at the end of the day, those might be five mentors, you know, five people that connect you to investors, five people to extend your network. And, you know, in my opinion, especially if you're a student, 
it's worth its its weight in gold. Yeah. It's that just customer discovery period. Oh, for sure. And it sounds like you spent an exponential amount of time just on that uh, customer development process. Do you think that's a step that like often gets skipped by a lot of entrepreneurs? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that um, I see too often people, especially raising money on a hunch mm. and it's really frustrating. So like, you know, one of the things that I love doing is I help a few funds with due diligence. So like somebody who trusts what I'm building at Sentio and invests, you know, millions of dollars in the companies will send me a deck and be like, Hey, is this a good idea? And oftentimes it's pre-revenue. And when things are pre-revenue, you know, you have to ask the questions like, do you understand the customer? Do you, how do you know how much you will, the customer will actually pay for this? How do you know that you're going to be able to solve this problem? And just like the psychology, what I've learned is through an investor's perspective is when you ask those questions, it just establishes a tremendous amount of doubt, not only in the project, but the leaders or the founders ability to actually accomplish it. Because to me, I'm like, Hey, this person hasn't even started calling out to customers. Like, what does that tell me about this person as a team leader and as a CEO? Mm. Does this mean they're going to come unprepared to other things like board meetings and, and, you know, tough calls and meetings with customers? Like, I need to be assured that when you come to me as an investor, and again, I'm not writing checks, but every once in a while, I get to uh, review these due diligence folders is, you know, it just kind of starts the conversation that with some resistance that, you know, I think in the fundraising process specifically is just you as a young founder just can't afford to have. Yeah. So you're saying like from advice standpoint from that, like if a company is trying to get that investment to actually do the due diligence and, and find out what your customer is going to buy, find out what they're going to do to actually have like information backed up behind why they need the money type deal. Yeah. Like I think that I see more companies get funded with strong customer discovery, strong industry expertise, and a few pre-orders far more often than somebody who has a half-baked idea built. So, you know, if, if you understand what you need to build, it is development's development. Like, especially now with, develop, with tech kind of being normalized and democratized, is if you want to get a platform built, there's a development shop in every single city, in every single town, in every single country. Like, I believe that you can get your software built. That's not a factor for me. But for me, and what I think what's happening with investors is they want to know that you understand the market, you understand what people want, and you want to, and you understand how much they will pay for it, so you can actually build a business off of it. Yeah, that's that. I I definitely think that's true. I've been to a few pitch competitions, and it's like really wild. I'm sure you feel this way too to hear these companies seeking, you know, two, three, four million dollars and they don't even have any knowledge of their customers, don't even have any yeah. revenue coming in. And it's like, you're kind of just asking for that funding off a pipe dream, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it happens. And, yeah. you know, venture is one of those things that I don't think I will completely ever fully understand. <laughs> um, you know, I see some companies get funded and then some companies get passed on, but like, you know, a good example is when I'm working with students at like the College of Charleston or the Citadel, I always encourage people before they write a line of code is to just build really simple screenshots and throw and, and uh, ask a few customers about it. So like it doesn't need to be anything fancy. It just says, hey, you know, here's an app that we're building. Here's a screenshot. I use Paint. I use Canva. I use Illustrator to kind of outline like where buttons would be, kind of how the interface would work. 
And, you know, with that, it's enough to show to customers and get their feedback and bring that to potential investors. Yeah. So if you hustle and bustle, like in downtown Charleston with an app that connects college kids with bars, that's like everyone's idea. Um, but you show them an actual screenshot. It looks impressive. And then you can bring that to bars. And let's say that you get, you know, 50 bars to say, if you develop this, we will pay a subscription of XYZ. So let's say it's $200. Let's say it's 99 bucks a month. Yeah. So it's 1200 bucks per location. You do 50, that's $60,000 of monthly recurring revenue that you have pre-ordered. Mm. So then when you're going to an investor, instead of saying, Hey, you know, we kind of got this half-baked idea. We spent 15 grand to develop an MVP. We're going to start bringing it out and see if people want it, see how people like it is the story changed narrative chance because you could say, hey, you know, we had this idea, we built some screenshots and we got $60,000 of, you know, actually that's annual recurring revenue, um, you know, already ready to go as soon as we launch this thing. Like that is way more compelling. And I think it's a shift from, I think, what a lot of people learn in how to build an app, but just something that I've seen be very successful. Yeah, for real. And I think that goes to show like you're taking the time to actually, again, get, get that uh, industry expertise, customer knowledge, and, and not just kind of coming up with the idea. You're like, hey, this is what I've done so far. And then here's kind of why I need that money. Yeah. And, you know, like for me, um, you know, just being a young founder, I know a lot of your listeners are, is no matter who you are, your age will play a factor in your fundraising process right? Because no matter how great you are at what you do, if you're a great coder, you're a great biz dev, you're a great marketer, whatever, you still have like two to three years of experience. Mm. And that's a hard number to overcome. Yeah. Right. Um, and so when you go in saying, Hey, I only have three years of experience, but I've spent the last six months knocking on doors, talking to bar owners, like that quickly escalates your expertise and shows your willingness to not only get your, you know, to grind, but also makes you just so much smarter to the investor to become somewhat of a thought leader, or at least you're willing to put in the work to become that one day. Yeah. Um, just because there is no substitute for time. Um, mm. So you have to get creative and figure out ways like that to get smart and experienced very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. We you know, we could personally talk about investment all day because I'm co-founding an app with two guys out of Charleston. I don't I don't want to be selfish and just keep asking investment questions. But um, no, you're good. I, keep it coming. I, I did want to touch on uh, your blog post that you made. Uh, you know what it was like balancing a, a newborn, a startup, and Harvard. You know, could you tell us a little bit about your time management technique there? Yeah, I mean. Um... I'm still managing that. So I don't want to <laughs> yeah. say I'm the expert. It's still a challenging thing. And I have another baby on the way too. So um, it hasn't gotten easier. Um, but kind of as I've grown and as I've been in business more, I've come to realize and respect more and more the importance of time and time management. Um, because as you get busier, um, you know, it, I am under the impression that it's easy to get money. It's a lot harder to find focus and to find clarity and to find time. Mm. And when you have time, you can do more things that you want to do, but you have to be very protective of your time. Um, and so like for me, as an example, is I wake up at like 4.45 every day um, and I have my schedule printed out and it's on my refrigerator. And if I follow that schedule, then I'm able to accomplish everything I want to 
you know, with my personal relationships, professionally and physical health. Um, and I find that in my process that if I don't have that sort of structure, then I end up working too much, not working enough, um, not spending enough time with my family, you know, not being physically healthy. And out of that, um, you know, missing a few things here or there or falling behind, it creates a lot of anxiety for me. Mm. And I like to run at very high efficiencies, right? Like I need to be productive. It's how I'm wired. I'm always trying to push to that next level. And I just find that that schedule and that really tight structure of knowing what I'm going to be doing every single day, um, you know, really helps with my process and really helps me grow. Yeah, for sure. I found that like actually writing it out that, you know, like have that printed schedule, but also like, you know, I balance a corporate role and some other side hustles. Like I, I'll make my after work side hustle to do list the night before. So that way, when I get off at 530, I know what I'm going to do from, you know, 6pm to midnight already rather than trying to figure that out last minute. So yeah, and I think it helps with burnout, right? Mm. So I've been running, you know, really hard since I was 18. And since I kind of skipped college is, you know, that that's seven years. Or I've just been running so hard, you know, in, in the very beginning doing like the Red Bull all night and, you know, writing investors until dawn and just working around the clock seven days a week. And, you know, burnout is a really real thing. And I know that a lot of young people, especially probably those who are listening to this podcast, you know, think like, oh, I can just like ride that out. Like I can like operate like this forever, but it's not sustainable. So like I learned that the hard way. If I got to stop one person from kind of falling through that trap, I'd say that's success. Um, but you know, as you grow your company and you become a leader and not just a founder is people need you to be reliable and people need you to be a strong leader. And it's really hard to do that when you're up at 3am drinking Red Bull and treating your body poorly. So it really is about building those really good habits early. And then once you grow into the leader that you can be, you know, being able to capitalize and not capitalize, but it maintain those healthy habits and be the best person you can be. Oh yeah, definitely. And you mentioned like at, at that early age, you were doing the Red Bulls, you know, reach out to investors yeah. till dawn. Do you think you have to have that at least for the first six months to a year? Or can you go ahead and, and implement that schedule that you have now? Oh, it, it depends on if you want to work smart or hard, yeah. right? Uh, and if you have the ability, do both and implement the schedule. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, as an 18 year old kid, you just want to grind. Um, yeah. And it's a really, and I think everybody just wants to grind, right? Like you probably want to grind. I still want to grind. Um, so it's about knowing your personal um, circumstance. And you know, I didn't have any responsibilities. I'm like living in DC, you know, by myself in like a residential hotel. Nobody cared if I was up that early. Right. Um, but, you know, obviously somebody's starting a business now. Um, and they have two kids at home, their schedule and their responsibilities are a lot different. So I think it's about being really self-aware of your own personal circumstance and doing the best with what you have. Yeah, definitely. With some things you've done, I mean, what, what are some initial failures that you had with your company and like, how did you grow from it? I think my, I mean, I'll tell you what I think I struggle with most. And one thing that I've really learned over the last at least you no know, year or so is you know one of the hardest challenges for any founder and certainly for me is that transition from being a founder to being a leader within your organization mm. and you know the shift from 
you know, achieving success from individual heroics and, you know, milestones to empowering your team, setting up systems and vehicles for scale. And that's not an easy thing to do to make that change. But if done right, it is incredibly rewarding for your business and for yourself personally, right? And it's just one of those things I think that founders, when they first get started, underestimate and underappreciate, right? The idea that today's work will get easier at mass. And that's just not true, Mm. right? The more money you have, the more sales you have, the more investments you have, the more influence you have, it creates different types of demands and complexities on your business and consequently in your personal life that you may not be prepared for, right? And some people, and I think I, by default, are, are really good founders. Like bring a company from zero side hustle to five people working for me. You know, and other types of people are superb leaders. Um, you know, people who can bring it from 10 people to 50 people to 500 people, yeah. right? And th- th- there's room in the world for both types of people, but it's rare that somebody has both. Mm. And so I think from an early stage, um, I would challenge your listeners to think about what type of person they are now and determine if that's what they want to end up as. Are you a founder or are you a leader? Yeah. Or are you both? And identify what those gaps are and do whatever it takes to get to where you want to be. So like as an example is I think I'm a great founder. Am I a great leader? I'm working on it. Yeah. Um, I don't have a ton of experience in it. You know, we're growing so quickly at Sentio that I'm forced to into those shoes. So like to kind of combat that, and I do want to be that type of person. Like as much as I love a good side hustle is I don't want to do side hustles anymore. Like that was the last seven years of my life. Proved, I've, I've proved that I can do it. I proved that it could be successful and I love helping people with their side hustles, but just with my personal life with kids and wife and mortgage and all of these things, it's just, and with Sentio, of course, yeah. it's just, I'm not going to do side hustles anymore. So I'm devoting all my resources to become a better leader and a better CEO of a large technology company. And for me, that means reaching out to people that I really respect in tech, getting them for coffee, getting them from Zoom calls asking them really difficult questions when I don't know how to do something, texting them like, Hey, I have a circle. I have a, a, uh, I'm in a position where I need some help with X, Y, Z and getting their feedback. So, you know, I think when you talk about challenges, that's the biggest one for me. Um, but I'm still working on it for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think that goes back to, uh, first off, that transition definitely does sound fairly difficult going from that founder to that leadership phase. Um, especially if your strengths are more of the on the ground founder, but, you know, definitely, I think what you're doing is, is amazing of, of actually reaching out to people in the tech community who have, you know, a couple of scales above you and, and reaching out and actually just learning from them. I mean, that goes back to what we mentioned earlier of just like you are the five people who ha- you hang around, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as you want to be a leader, um, you know, you kind of have to hang out with less founders. Yeah. Right. Uh, spend less time at hackathons, less time, you know, on side hustles and more times at, you know, CFO councils and Rotary Club <laughs> and all of these places where you find traditional technology leaders. So it's a shift in mindset, but it's also a little bit of a shift in, um, in lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so it, it's been interesting and I'm still trying to figure it out. I, by no means have I 
<laughs> have I figured it out fully? But uh, maybe in a few years we can do this again and uh, have some more insights on how that's going. Yeah, the, the next episode will be uh, called From Founder to Leader and it'll be everything you've learned along the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up? Trying. Yeah, definitely. So you're, you're obviously super involved in um, not only your company and your personal life, but you know, you're, you mentor people and you're involved in like the tech community a lot. Like, what are some steps that, that people could take to, to get more involved in their community like that? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, as I've kind of stepped into um, that leadership role, my life, as I mentioned before, has changed where I'm attending more, uh, you know, volunteer events, uh, you know, I'm doing a lot more things um, that I wouldn't otherwise do, and certainly not a lot of 25 year olds are doing. Um, and the easiest way to do that is just to volunteer time and volunteer your money. Mm. So, you know, the easiest thing to do is like, just go to your local rotary club and just say, Hey, you know, I'm looking to get more involved and usually really successful people join charities, right? So right. it's, it's rotary, it's United way, it's whatever. And, you know, these sort of nonprofits, and I know this from starting a nonprofit tech company early on, um, is that nonprofits crave young people right so they want to get you involved at the volunteer level but if you show promise and you show um interest in you know becoming a treasurer or sitting in on board meetings or um you know being executive director like they beg people to join these in these roles at a volunteer capacity so if you have some bandwidth it's a really good investment of your time because one it's the right thing to do just for the world is to volunteer time to good causes that you're passionate about but two, you know, it's actually a lot easier, I think, than most people think to rise up within these nonprofit organizations and to get involved in community just because they want people like you. Like there are people out there that all they do is look for volunteer board members. There are people out there who just cert, you know, they have volunteer coordinators to try to find people to volunteer on a Saturday. Yeah. Make their job easy. Find what you're passionate about. Find like-minded people at those organizations. Rise through the ranks. And then all of a sudden, you're not just a tech founder or just a founder in general working at a corporate job is you're also like the treasurer of a really impressive organization that you're proud of. And you can leverage that experience in those relationships to get further within the business that you're building. Yeah, for sure. I really agree with the point about how these nonprofits are craving uh, young people. I mean, I reached out to an organization in Charlotte called junior achievement. They uh, help students who are, you know, in financially kind of troubled backgrounds and more of the lower class. And, I just reached out like, Hey, I would love to share my story with some people, you know, maybe speak at some, uh, local high schools literally within the next hour. The lady was like, Oh, for sure. Like here are the dates. Like I looked at your background and it was just spending five minutes of sending that email of saying like, Hey, I want to volunteer my time and help grow the community. So, so to everyone out there, I don't think it's like that massive step. I think it's just those first initial ones, you know? Yeah. And I think too, like beyond starting your own business and just, even if you were to go through the corporate world, which is perfectly fine. And there's millions and billions of people nationwide who are wildly successful going through that route. So it's definitely not invalid. And we talk a lot about entrepreneurship because that's what the podcast is kind of directed towards. But, you know, um, you know, it also helps with that corporate rise, right? So it could be great for networking, it could be great for your corporate job. And like, I just can't say enough good things about just volunteering in general. Um, and, you know, don't have expectation that you're going to meet this millionaire that can help fund your business, like go in genuinely trying to help, which is why you really need to pick an organization that you're personally uh, passionate about. And, you know, I always find that when you're volunteer, you're good to other people, you just get really lucky. 
And the more that you do, the luckier you'll end up being. Yeah. You know, you brought up luck. Like I, I was talking to somebody about that the other day who's founded a, a few companies. And I think sometimes to be wildly successful, you have to kind of have a, a tiny bit of luck pop up for you. Yeah. But I think you go into that luck by, you know, putting in the work, having the determination, having the commitment, showing up every day. You know, h- how much of a factor do you think all those are to actually getting yourself into those kind of lucky situations? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody gets a little bit lucky. And, you know, at Sentio, um, you know, we got really lucky before COVID. So like six months ago before COVID, we, I, I reached out to somebody who I went to high school with whose dad uh, was at a um, home healthcare franchise. So these are the type of organizations that go into your home. Um, they care for your loved ones. And, you know, one location like in Charleston will have 100 caregivers. Um, and I just talking to him over the phone and I said, Hey, you know, I have technology that McDonald's is using that Chick-fil-A is using the home hotels is using I'm wondering if this is like a good fit for your industry. And he said, yeah, yeah, let's, uh, let's try it out. And so like at the time it was a flyer, right? It was, you know, something that, um, you know, was just by chance or just trying to get a new customer. But as COVID's come around, a lot of our other businesses are no longer in business, right? Because a lot of companies because of COVID had to lay a bunch of people off, no longer hiring, no longer operating. But what we found is that, you know, a large group of our customers, because of just that conversation I had with that home healthcare franchise six months ago, are actually in that industry. And that industry, despite every other industry essentially failing right now, is thriving. Mm. And if we didn't make that, I don't want to say pivot, if we didn't make that micro adjustment, and kind of build out that value proposition for that customer set, it'd be a very different conversation, you know, not being able to say we're growing as fast and we actually might be losing money if that was the case. And so, you know, just another example of just working hard, leveraging your network. And I got really lucky that I was talking to this person and it ended up shaping our business to a really, really challenging time in American history. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome that that actually occurred. I mean, during, you know, with COVID, I mean, that's cool that, that actually, you know, positive things happen for y'all yeah it's uh you know and and with our tech is screening tech so it helps companies turn a pile of resumes from 10 to 1 and like says hey this is the person you should hire and with 30 million people being out of work because of covid to rent this to the u.s economy and to all the millions of people that are involved but you know we're having mcdonald's now and you know right at homes so where they couldn't even you know paying people enough to come work at McDonald's or to work at their business. But now, um, you know, with 30 million people out of work, they're now getting thousands of applicants a month. Mm. And so now they have all of these new challenges. The hiring process is how do I pick the best 10 out of these thousand? So, you know, it's an unfortunate opportunity for Sentio, but um, you know, the silver lining in all of this for us at least. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And uh, one more question for you, and then I definitely want you to highlight, you know, what's, what are some up, upcoming things that's happening on your neck of the woods? Um, what, what, yep. what is your one word uh, to, to really describe the success that you've had in, li- in life so far? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'd say empathy. Mm. Um, like, I am a very empathetic person, and I think, um, you know, as I transition from founder to leader, um, I'm finding it to be more important is being empathetic of 
your customers, being empathetic of your investors, being empathetic of um, your team members when they're having personal hardships, being empathetic when somebody doesn't hit their sales numbers. Mm. Um, and of course, being empathetic to, um, you know, my family. Um, and, you know, just being a genuinely nice person that understands the struggles of others is something that, especially in today's world with all that's going on, is just really important. And, you know, I attribute a lot of my personal success to it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I've done a lot of research on leadership and, you know, had some leadership positions myself. And I think the number one trait that I see in that is empathy. So, you know, I think going from that founder to, to leader level, you already have kind of the main characteristic under your belt right there. So. Trying to, I mean, learning yeah, along the way. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. So where can, uh, you know, what's next for, for Cintio? Like where can people connect with you? Definitely want to leave the floor open for you for a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, um, you can find Sentio. It's just mysentio.com. Um, you know, we are going to be doing really exciting things here. Um, in the next few years, we're in the middle of a really big fundraising process, um, which will be able to employ a lot of people in the Carolinas. So, you know, we have an open, uh, app, uh, careers page at mysentio.com slash careers. So if you're interested in getting involved, join the team, we'd love to have you. Um, I know a lot, a lot of people are hiring, especially in tech. So, you know, be sure to, um, drop us a line if you're interested. Um, and then my personal journey is just Twitter probably, um, at AJ Rikiki. Um, and you know, feel free to drop me a note. My email is just AJ at mysentio.com. I love hearing from people. I love looking things over. Um, I'm very busy, so I might not be able to get to you right away but I write every single person that ever reaches out to me, even if they're a salesperson, just because I've done it to millions of people. And I just really appreciate when somebody even just says, Hey, I'm not interested. Mm. So I will respond to you and love to, uh, love to chat. Yeah, definitely. I can attest to, uh, you responding, you, you know, you, you responded w within 24 hours and I asked you to be on the podcast. So yeah, try to, I try to, <laughs> It's all good stuff. AJ, thanks again, man, for, for being on today. Uh, you know, really excited about the value that you were able to add today. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and keep rocking. Well, that's it, guys. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. If you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. You know I want to impact people. Additionally, reach out to AJ as well. He wants to impact people just as much as I do. His contact information was listed earlier in the episode. And again, as we like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success.